You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Good evening, church. Who's excited to be at church tonight? You know, I, uh, I was just thinking about this. I told last service, but I just wanted to thank and honor each one of you. It's such a a privilege to be in a community that's so hungry and the honor that is given to the presence of Jesus in this house is just a joy uh, to be able to come and minister. So uh, you guys just pull on the heart of God and pull on his anointing. And so it's just a, it's a remarkable thing. Uh, I'm just going to pray. And I, I actually just feel like we're supposed to turn our hearts, turn our affection to Jesus here for a few moments. And uh, and then even before the message. So I just ask you to join uh, with me in prayer right now as we continue in the presence of God tonight. And so Jesus, we belong to you. And as we've worshiped you in song, God, we give you our presence as an act of worship right now. And we open our hearts to you, Jesus. And we invite your gaze to come into the very depths of us, God. We invite you to speak. We ask, Lord, that you send forth your word and heal us. God, that you will bestow upon us your truth and you'll liberate us. God, that you'll release your wisdom and you'll enlighten our eyes so that we can see and recognize you. God, and that you will transform us into love. God, form us and fashion us into love tonight, Jesus. That's why we're here, to behold God. And we're aware that, God, you are here, that there is a king in the room, and we give you honor. We make room for you. We put you on the throne of our hearts and say, Lord, we're listening. Speak to us, Jesus, we're listening. We're clinging to every word of your mouth tonight. We give you our ears, God, our listening, our presence as worship right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I started on this topic of healthy family, healthy relationships, and last week opened up this paradigm of the war that each one of us have between fear and love, and presented maybe more than presented, I feel like I was almost barking, Uh, but to really chase our fear. I feel it was an exhortation from the Lord and surprised me, uh, even what came out of me, but uh, you know that we have to go and face fear head on, square in the eye, get in the ring, face the challenge, overcome the giant if we're to become the people of love that we're called to be. That love is not a passive thing. It's not an easy thing necessarily. It's the most bold and courageous thing that you can ever do with your life. But it is who we were created to be. And I actually want to now contextualize that within the realm of relationships tonight and present to you the idea that where fear 
will most manifest in your life and in mine is in the realm of relationships. And that is because that is fundamentally what we were created for, relationships. Uh, the more that heaven comes to earth, the more the earth will look like healthy family. And the contest, the, the, the fear, the uh, enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And so he does not want to see healthy relationships. He does not want to see healthy family in the earth because that is what it looks like for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And the more intimate the relationship, the more exposing it is in our lives, right? The more you care, the more you are open and vulnerable with another human, uh, the more potential there is for you to experience pain. So if fear is going to come up, uh, it's going to be in the realm of relationships. And my desire tonight and what I feel that the Lord's wanting to do uh, is actually, you know, we're, we're not to self-examine uh, our hearts, uh, but the, the Spirit actually often wants to come and shine light. Uh, Ephesians 1 says the spirit of wisdom and revelation to enlighten, uh, to open the eyes of our hearts. And I feel that there's this, that the spirit actually wants to come and bring us down into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart tonight, right? In Hebrews 12, it says the word of God's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and there's no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do and God is penetrating his word is penetrating his truth is penetrating and the reality is that where fear hides most frequently in my life and I would present in yours as well is actually down in the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and so we can get like kind of a raw, raw, raw mentality of like last week, let's go face our fear, like Simba, you know, let's go out there and face it. And what I would want to invite you in tonight, what I feel the Lord's wanting to invite you tonight is let's come into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and let's face the fear. That, that's the call. It's to go in and to actually face it and find love within our own hearts. And uh, another verse that I just want to kind of present that I'm going to really talk out is the same verse I read last week, but it's, you know, 1 John 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not yet perfected in love. Right? There's no fear in love. Right? There's none. Fear and love do not coexist and they don't mix. And the reality of what I have discovered is that when I partner with fear, which hides in the thoughts and the intentions, I can oftentimes hide behind good intentions. Right? I have good intentions in the, in the superficial and kind of the day-to-day -day and the consciousness of my mind. But when I get down into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, fear actually permeates and mixes with my love. And fear doesn't necessarily always come and manifest in this overarching, dominating, manifest way. What it often does is it irks and it leaks and perverts into our love. And our love gets, uh, gets kind of uh, muddy. It gets impure. Right? And... Uh, I, I want to present uh, just an idea and a word tonight that I'm sure a lot of us have heard, um, but that's really 
dealing and looking at this mixture between fear and love because it can get confusing. It can get hard to understand. And I think that there's actually a lot of confusion in our world today around what love actually is because love can mean a lot of things. It can look like a lot of things and fear and love can often get intertwined within themselves. But if we're not down into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, we won't know what's going on. So my desire and what I feel the Lord's going to do is just evoke some things. So I just, I just encourage you to just open your heart to God and say, Spirit of God, Spirit of truth, I invite you to come in and actually allow me, shine light into the thoughts and the intentions, into the motivations within my heart so that I can see, am I operating in love or is there fear? What's really going on? What is really driving my actions and behaviors and the way that I live and relate with the other people in my life? Okay? So that's what I just want to encourage us to do tonight, right? So there's a term that I'm sure most of you would know, and that is codependency. Who's heard this? Right, this is actually a buzzword now. It's kind of widely kind of tossed out, you know, don't be a codependent. Um, uh, that's codependent, whatever. This is a phrase that was actually coined in like the 1980s, and it's kind of become a buzzword. And I found that oftentimes, as it is with a lot of words, uh, general knowledge does not equate to understanding. So I actually want to just present some kind of layman, commoner terms to kind of grapple with and understand what is this topic of codependency and, 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 and what is it actually referring to so that we can um, be aware of what's going on. And I just want to put this out as a segue. You know, some of you might say, yeah, this isn't something I struggle with, but I think that this is knowledge that we all need to know if we're to engage in healthy relationship within community, which is what the church is. We have to learn to see and perceive and, and, and recognize how to relate with one another. So uh, even if you say this isn't me, I actually think that this is for you. This is for all of us. If we're to be a healthy family, we have to know how to relate as it pertains to fear. So codependency, I'm just going to define really simply, and this is not textbook. This is nobody's. I'm just going to tell you, bring you into my own process of relating because I am Jordan Verner. I'm a recovering codependent. Just want to make that real to all of you. All right. Uh, so, so codependency is when fear infects our love and we give beyond our means. Right? We, we give beyond what God has actually given us to give into a relationship. Right? So it's when fear infects our love and we actually start giving and sowing into a relationship beyond our means to give. Right? And I just want to I, I extrapolate that for you for the story. Uh, I was in Israel, me and my brother were years ago, and we stayed in this nasty, uh, this church that was great. They let us stay there for a month, but it was disgusting. Like, it was disgusting. Like, you could not see out of the windows. They were so caked in mud and dust and dirt. And they let us stay there for a month. And we said, hey, we'd love to bless you. Like, is there anything we can do? They said, yeah, you can clean the windows. I don't know what you were thinking, but I was like, oh, shh. You know? Like, I don't want to clean the windows, man. Like, anything but the windows. Those things are gross. But anyways, they let us stay there for a month. And honestly, they were so good to us. And we were like, yeah, absolutely. And I think we probably spent 12 hours the last day we were there. And we cleaned, we went to town on that place. I remember like we had the screens out of the windows in the bathtub, like spraying them because there's so much gunk and crap. And we worked our butt off all day. We cleaned the kitchen. It was just like nasty. All right. And honestly, like we ended at like 12 hours. You probably could have cleaned like 12 more days uh, and it still would have been dirty. But like we gave.
gave because like we, it was the easy, best thing, easiest thing we could do because they were so generous to us, giving us this free place to stay in Jerusalem. And I remember I'm laying in bed that night and I was just like, hi, is a kite. You know, there's a joy in giving. There's a joy in serving. I was just so happy. Like, you know, and then we were going on an adventure the next day. And, uh, and I'm sitting there in bed and just feeling this joy, like satisfaction, like what a great day. And all of a sudden this voice, just this voice of accusation starts ringing in my mind. And it was like, yeah, but you could have done more. I was like, hmm. I was like, yeah, you could have cleaned that room. I was like, hmm. Could have done that. Hmm. Could have done that. Could have done that. You could have done da, 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 da. And pretty soon it was like my joy was so full and it was like, zzz, and then it was just empty. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you're right. I don't even know. I'm, I'm selfish. I could have done so much more. Heidi Baker would have done way the heck more. You know, like seriously, that's where my mind starts going. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not that loving. I'm, yes, I'm not that selfless. And all of a sudden I was just like, what is going on? And it triggered me because I looked back in my life. I could see so many other places where the same pattern repeated. And I was like, Lord, what the heck's going? I stopped, dropped and prayed, said, please speak to me. I don't want to lose this joy. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Jordan, he said, how many hours did you serve today? So I served 12 hours. He said, how many hours did you want to serve today? I said, 12 hours. He said, why? And I said, because that was just in my heart. It was my joy to do that. And I got exhausted. I don't want to do it anymore. And he said, yeah. He's like, you, you served all day. He said, because that was what was in your heart to do. He said, for you to get back up and keep serving when it's not in your heart to do it, he said, that's when you're, he's like, you'd now be doing that to try to earn something, to try to prove something to me. And he said, you'd be giving beyond your means it's like, and that's not pure. That's not love. And then he spoke to me. He said, yes, Heidi loves more than you do. He said, but that's not because she's earning it. He said, that's because she's allowed me to do a work and transform her so her capacity to love has actually grown. He said, you're not going to earn my favor by working harder and actually doing things with expectations. So that's not love. And it liberated me. I was like, yeah, okay, my capacity was 12 hours. I could have done more. But that's all I had. That was my boundary. That was my limit, right? I say this as an example. This is in relationship to other things, but we do that same thing in relationships, right? And when we get to the threshold of what we have to give out of love, and if we cross that threshold, it comes with strings attached. We're doing it with an agenda, and our love is now perverted with fear, and when your love gets perverted with fear, it'd be like, hey, dude, I got you this water bottle from like this spring out of Mount Everest, man. It's so pure, and it just got a little urine in it. Just dab. Just a little dab. Don't worry about it. You're like, wait a second. Like, I don't want that. Right? It's no different with love. You know, it's so loving. I did all these loving things. But as soon as you cross that threshold, that is codependency. You're now giving beyond your means to give to another human. And the reality is you're giving with an agenda and the motivation is no longer love. It's something else. It's something impure. And it's usually fear. All right. And the reality of what's taking place is that you're actually making that person an idol. You're absolutely, when you cross the threshold, you are, you're, you're pushing God off the throne and you're putting them on it because you're actually trying to control a person to get a need met in you, which means you're the source of my needs getting met, not God. And the thing is, this is the, this is the, this is the kicker with it all. When you try to control a human and make an idol, that will, idol will inevitably start to control you. That's codependency. 
You give beyond your means to give. What you're actually doing is playing God, right? And what it really breaks down to is you're giving beyond your limitation. We are not God. We are man. We have limits. We have boundaries. I, I, have, I have only so much that I can do. I can just be a small embodiment of his love. I am not God. Right? And I can't try to be God to any person or try to make any person God to me. So are you following with me? I know that this is uh, a little evoking. I want it to be. Uh, and this is not comprehensive. I hope this stirs conversations, thoughts in your mind. Right? So why, why do we become codependent? Why do we push past this threshold to give? Why do we press past and, and start trying to sow more into relationships than we have to give? Why would we make a human being an idol? That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense, but fear convinces us that's the right way to go. And, and really, the why, the, the simple question, it's trauma and fear. Trauma and fear. And where codependency was kind of coined, it was in the realm of alcoholism. And they started finding that, that there was a, a real dysfunction in family members or close friends of people that walked alongside an alcoholic. Right? So the alcoholic had the addiction, but the person walking in relationship that was being affected by the alcohol had their own issue, which is coined codependency. Right? And this is the cycle that was basically discovered, was that the addicted person, the alcoholic, causes a lot of pain, dysfunction, disorder, and creates a mess with the, with the addiction. Right? This, this, this creates an ecosystem that's highly out of control and very scary. Right? So the codependent sees this out-of-control, scary situation and says, I'm going to take responsibility for you, and I'm going to start trying to control you into good behavior by all my love, all my, all my love. I'm going to love you back to life. It looks really good. It looks like the gospel. We'll use Isaiah 61 to do it, right? But the truth is, is if I cross the threshold, right, because I have love to give to an addicted person, but I don't have saving grace to give to them. I'm not their savior. Nobody's responsible. Nobody can change anybody. Nobody control anybody. Nobody can do anything to make anybody can change in any way. Right? It's love that changes us. And love is God. I can be a conduit of love, but that has bounds. I only have so much that I can do to any person. Good, bad, addicted, free, it doesn't matter. I, only, I have limits to what I can give to another human. Does that make sense? If I cross that threshold, this is why. Because now I've crossed, I'm taking responsibility for your addiction. I'm going to try to get you out of it because the truth is, I need you healthy so I won't be afraid anymore. So it looks selfless, it looks self-sacrificing, but it's actually self-gratifying, it's selfish. It looks so loving, from the outside, but the, the intention, the motive, it's fear. I need to control your behavior so I can be at peace, so I can be okay. Which is stating, God is not my comfort. God is not my peace. God is not my refuge. Your equilibrium is. The relationships become an idol. Does that make sense? So, so that's where codependency was kind of revealed. It was in the realm of relationship uh, with alcoholism. Uh, I would say, uh, and now uh, you, there's a couple books on this. There's uh, Melody Beatty, thinks how you say it. She wrote a book in the 80s called Codependent No More. It kind of coined this. She has a new book called The New Codependency, which is actually showing that codependency isn't just in relationship to alcohol. It's in relationship to any addiction. 
And how many people in this room have you been affected by addiction? Right? Everyone has. So I think this has universal application. The depth and severity can vary, but I just think this is a topic we have to, to grasp, begin to wrestle with. You know, I had a, a, a class um, in college. It's actually where I met AJ. And uh, we had a guy come in. He's a pastor. And uh, it's probably one of the most frustrating classes I ever had in my life. And uh, he came in, and he uh, began to tell us about kind of his theology and how he'd seen a lot of unhealth in the ministry. We're in a ministry class. He thought he was going to prepare us for healthy ministry. This was his advice. Um, he said... Uh, he said, you know, a lot of pastors have really bad marriages and, you know, this bad, unhealthy relationship with the church. He said, and, you know, and me and my wife, we both had dysfunctional childhoods. And he gives all this stuff. And he said, so I know this is going to sound shocking, but it's, it's the, been the healthiest thing that we've ever done. He's like, me and my wife have both decided that in our relationship, our marriage is first and God is second. I, this is straight from his mouth. I sat there. I wanted to take my heresy. Uh, he had scripture. He had a whole theology built around this. And what his theology was supporting was extreme codependency. Now, I kind of respect him that he at least said it because a lot of people actually live like that. They just don't say it. Right? And what he was saying is because me and my wife had trauma, our parents were divorced, we have all this fear, we decided that we could use and control one another to make us safe and feel like we never have to face our fear. So you'll be my idol and I'll be yours. Our marriage will be what we worship to make us safe and not God. Right? They're using it to avoid facing their fear, which is why I started last week, we have to face the giant. Right, so this is real. This is in the church. This is pastors. This is all over. This is in fear infects love. Right, and we are living in a culture that is scared to death of covenant. Scared to death of divorce. Because we say, you know, love is scary. Love is fragile. No, love is solid. Love you can build a life upon. Love is a rock that will not be shaken when the winds and the waves come crashing against it. But when fear gets infected to our love, it starts ripping and shredding apart relationships at the deep level. It is fear that is the enemy, not covenant. It is fear that is the enemy, not divorce. It is fear. So we have to be healed of this infection. All right, we're not, we, we're limits. We're limited, finite human beings. Right, and even Jesus, right, he loved Lazarus, so he stayed behind an extra few days. What? Codependent's like, whew, I'm way more loving than you. I would have left my kid's soccer game and been there. You call me, I'm there. That's loving. Is it? No, love looks like living in connection to Jesus and saying, what do I do here? What do I have to give here, right? We don't realize that pride seeps into our relationships all the time, right? And when it seeps in, we start thinking that we have, we have stuff to give. We have all that we know. We know. We know. No. Jesus said, I only do 
what my father tells me to do. I only give what he's given me to give. I only deposit what I have to sow. So I want to introduce to you uh, the concept of uh, triangulation, and I'm going to do it so that I can explain my own codependency for you and uh, make this, put flesh and bones on this, because this is real, and it wreaks havoc, All right? And so the, the concept of triangulation is that uh, there's kind of three different manifestations of fear, control, manipulation within uh, relationships, right? When we get afraid... Uh, will operate in, in one of these roles, and they normally, uh, relational paradigms or, or ecosystems will, will uh, be created around uh, this triangulation. And the triangulation is that there's villains, a victim, there's a villain, there's a victim, and there's a rescuer or a hero, right? And the villain uses, uh, like, intimidation uh, or, you know, abuse dem demonstration to control people to get their needs met. Uh, victims... Uh, will you know use like a pity and a powerlessness in this play to try to manipulate a rescuer to come and help enable him, them, and a rescuer will take responsibility for another person's life and well-being uh, to get their needs met. Right, so they're all using control, manipulation to get needs met. Does it make sense? And I I, I don't really want to talk about the villain tonight because uh, these are the ones that I actually think uh, in some ways get the uh, the brunt of judgment uh, when the reality is we create these roles and we create these labels all out of fear and they're the, that's just the easy one to see and and so uh, they're afraid people hurting broken people uh, that need healing right but they're not monsters there's no monsters out there there's just hurting people that hurt people right and so I actually want to but that, that one's easily recognizable and you can usually recognize it in yourself. And if you are using intimidation tactics to try to control another person, whether they are openly aggressive or passive aggressive, just don't do that. You know, and start. To, you can recognize that now. But I actually want to talk more of the the rescuer uh, victim dynamic, and that's particularly because these are the things that I actually would say I deal with more uh, from a pastoral perspective, and in, in, in what I see and what people share, and and uh, it comes out. It's it's in the church, and uh, for me, uh, I am a uh, classic rescuer. Uh, that is my role. When I go to fear, uh, that's, that's what I jump into. And I learned that from uh, the dysfunction of my family and our brokenness. And so I, I learned that that's what felt very normal to me. Does that make sense? Uh, hurting person, you jump in, you try to control to make everything safe because I'm actually out of control. And so when things were out of control, I would give, 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 give to try to make sure that the hurting people were okay so that there would be peace so that I would be at peace. All right, so this is, this is the dysfunction I inherited. Then I go out, I start Start trying to live my life, and I'm starting to try to, you know, form relationships uh, within myself. And what I didn't know is because I hadn't yet looked back and seen the brokenness of what I inherited, uh, that just felt familiar and very attractive to me. Does that make sense? Right? And this is the truth. Like sometimes we have so much fear about looking at our past, our parents, our childhood. It's like, oh, I can't ever challenge that. That's just good. No, everyone's broken. I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken. Uh, what we, like, there is just brokenness in life. And we have to have the courage and the humility to say, okay, 
I'm not being disloyal to my family by looking at what I actually inherited and what the real life effect is, right? And, and until we recognize the brokenness, we're not even equipped to start looking with new eyes and be able to do anything different. We're just going to repeat the same familiar broken pattern unless we have eyes to see, right? Awareness. My people perish for lack of knowledge. For a lack of awareness, we will perish because we'll just keep doing the same thing. Right, so I had no awareness. I get out, I start getting in my life, and I found myself uh, about 20 years old, 21 years old, in a very toxic relationship that at the beginning just felt, felt like cherries and roses, man. It was amazing. It was perfect. It was super, super easy. And the reason why is because I found a very toxic environment. What I was attracted to was a very toxic environment because I was a rescuer looking for a victim to rescue, and the victim, she was a victim looking for uh, someone to rescue. And so what it enabled is we were attracted because we could create a, a connection without ever having to face the fear. And this is what the Lord told me. As this relationship broke, I was shocked. I was in awe. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I'd been so great. And the Lord meets me, and he began to speak to me and reveal to me uh, my codependency. And uh, I'm just going to tell it to you how he told it to me. And he said, Jordan, you're a self-righteous peacock. He said, you are scared and you hide behind your big old nice performance tails. Like, just look at me. He said, anytime you're afraid, you just like bend over and shake it. I was humbled by this. I'm glad you guys are laughing now. He said, you're afraid you hide behind your performance. And, uh, he said, and, then, and then he said, the victim's like a, a scared turtle. You just hide behind that shell. And is it safe? You know, like, you know, hypervigilant. And so, it, you know, it was easy to get into a relationship with the turtle because I just, <laughs> come out, come out. <laughs> Look at these feathers. Look how amazing I am. Look how loving I am. Right? Create this relationship. It's great. Turtle and the peacock. Um, there's a problem, though, is that this peacock, scared to death of rejection, scared to death of abandonment. Why? Because of the trauma of my past. I don't want that to happen. And what did I do as a rescuer to make a scary situation controlled? I just got in there and did all these amazing things and made myself like I'm a hero, just shaking those feathers. So what do I do when I get in a relationship? Relationship gets real. I start being afraid. What do I do? Do what I always do. I just start performing, 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 being so loving, so over the top. Anytime I'm afraid of the connection, let me just give more. Let me just give more. Let me just give and give and give. I'll just be so amazing. You could never reject me because I'm just, I'm just so good. You're broken. I'm just helping you. I'm a hero. Relationship explodes. Boom, just creates this toxic whole thing. Why am I giving so much? Why is the turtle going back in the shell? I'm angry. Come out, come out. I'm shaking. She's not coming out. What's going on? Boom, it explodes. I cannot believe it. Then I start realizing, you know what? I've been a pretty dang good peacock for all these years. I keep getting rejected. How much can I suffer for righteousness sake? 
lucky can I get? The same thing keeps happening to me. The Lord says, what's the common denominator? <laughs> Just self-righteous peacock over here. And what was I doing? Anytime I was afraid, I had love, but I'd get afraid and I would overextend to try to save someone from their brokenness laced with fear agenda expectations and fear destroys relationships and I was producing a toxic relational environment that was producing the same destructive patterns basically what it came down to is Jordan your love's not very attractive I think a lot of people have all these theories why the church isn't effective in America. I'm pretty sure it's because our love has not been very attractive. People feel controlled. People feel manipulated. And by and large, it's because the church is scared to death of sin and brokenness. And yet we're following a Jesus that got down in the dirt with prostitutes. that called 12 knuckleheads to be his apostles. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. And we have to have the courage to actually look at the relationships in our life. Say, so what's my love look like? How attractive am I? So this verse in John starts with there's no fear in love. And then verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not. That's the incarnational litmus test. Right? So many people... I have the most amazing relationship with God. Let me tell you. We so close. Then why are all your relationships so messed up? Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much? Are you following me? God's like, hey, prove it. By relationships, that's relationships with human beings, that is where the rubber hits the road. That is where your spirituality actually holds up. That's where you find out, is it weight-bearing? Does it just look nice, does, or does it, can it actually bear weight? And love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It doesn't fail. Love doesn't fail. And you know what the world needs? You know what America needs? You know what the millennial generation needs? 
It needs to see people that live lives of agape because that's going to heal the world of these wounds and these scourging pains and the destructions of family and the, and the, the, the disease of divorce that's destroying the fabric of community and culture and identity and sonship and daughterhood. It needs people to say, I'm not going to run from fear anymore. I'm going to face it in the eye. And where is the fear hiding? Thoughts, intentions, motivations of the heart. Because the reality is that in relationship, right? I wish I could say, oh man, I had my awareness. I'm a peacock and now I'm free. Free, just perfect. No, all that changed was my eyes got opened and I said, holy cow, I am tempted all the time, still to this day, that when I get afraid in a relationship, what do I want to do? Have you, have you seen my... <laughs> I want to perform. I want to do something amazing. I want to be so incredible. No one could ever reject me because then I'm safe. So it's an ongoing choice that as I choose to live a life of vulnerability with the people that God has placed. This isn't just romantic relationship. I use that as an example because that's the most evoking. Friends, family, siblings, spouses, kids, whatever it is, fear comes up when you love. But if we're to be a people of agape, we have to face that fear or else we will relegate to we may not go out and create an all-out theology and go try to tell college kids that the success of your ministry is to make your wife ahead of God. You know, I'm not going to say what school it was because you won't send your kids there, but I liked the school, okay? It was just one bad class, but, right? We're not going to create that theology, but we will live with it. Like, if we don't face the fear, there's no option. It's fear or love, fear or love, fear or love. We're either going to face the fear head on, head on, head on, Right, and seek the Lord. What am I called to do? What, it, what does it look like in this place? Right, and we're going to continue in this series. There's more that we're going to go into, and I'm, not, I'm really going to pause there. But, but next week, actually, we're going to talk about boundaries, what boundaries look like. Because boundaries is actually how we do this, practically. Right, that's, that, that's, how we, that's how we begin to navigate a new path with people. Okay, well, I feel fear here that this is, how, this is what love looks like. My yes is yes. My no is no. This stuff is important, right? So we're going to go in more. And so I don't want you to, I just, I just I just feel like God's wanting to start a conversation between you and him. And I imagine that as I'm preaching tonight, memories are coming. Thoughts are evoking. There's probably things to think about, right? The Holy Spirit, he's examining our hearts. He's actually trying to bring us into a place of more purity. He wants to, he wants to alleviate and, and eradicate fear out of our love so that what we offer the world is a pure drink of fresh water, right? Because when people taste love, it's like... They found what they've been searching for. It's like they've been wandering in a desert for a long time and you give them a drink and it's like their souls come alive. It's like they look at you with this look like you just gave us heaven. You just gave us what we've been longing for, right? And the church spends so much time and so much money trying to figure out how do we be attractive? How do we do some concerts? How do we do some things with smoke screens and look all this stuff and try to attract people if we just become love? If we just give the world a drink of pure water, you don't need to, you don't need the hype. 
it starts when, when one person, a man or a woman, you, say no more. Fear will not, it will have no place. So go there. Allow the Lord to go there. Allow the Lord to, to bring things up. And, and when you find, whoa, whoa, my motives haven't been right. There's fear. It's hiding. Then partner with him and show him how to face it. Say, God, how do I face this? Right? Because your destiny's on the other side. That was last week. Your calling's on the other side. Your identity's on the other side. Your inheritance is on the other side. You're more than a conqueror. Greater he is he who's in you. He is faithful. He will comfort you. He will be your peace. He will be your victory. You will win the fight. You just got to get in it. Amen? I'm just going to have you stand. I just want to pray. Let's put your hands on your hearts. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome your examination. We welcome you to just come in and evoke within us, God, to, to pull up, to reveal to us what needs to be revealed, to expose to us what needs to be exposed, God, to show us truth. God, send forth your word and heal us. God, your truth sets us free. God, may your truth enter into our innermost parts, God. May you come, God, and even just do heart surgery on those that need heart surgery, God. Will you begin to actually heal, to go deeper beneath the bandages and the, the intentions and all the, the justifications that we've built, God, and to just take us down into the roots so that we can begin to face our fear, God, so that we can identify what it is that's coming against us, God, that you, your perfect love, cast out fear, God. And so I just pray, Jesus, that, that there that, that as you expose, God, perhaps fear in places of strongholds, places where the boundaries of our own lives have been broken down, where we gave our power away, God, that you will come in, Spirit of God, and you will begin a work of restoration tonight, God, that you will catalyze a work of restoration, that you will break the chains of fear, that you will liberate us from the bonds of codependency, God, and this powerlessness that wants to just wreak havoc in your church, God, and in your people, and we just say no. We say no, God, and we say yes to your love. We say yes to your freedom. We say yes, Jesus, to your blood that shows us that victory is the only outcome. We sing it, God, that fear, fear, God, has been defeated. We are not slaves to fear. So I thank you, Jesus, that in our relationships, you're using them to make us love. And we just say that, God, with all our hearts, hearts open, God. We just say, make us love. Form and forge us into agape love. God, make us like Jesus. God, make us a well of fresh water. God, a well of agape love that we can give freely to the world, God, as you instruct us, as you show us, God. Make us a healthy family. Make us healthy family, we pray. In Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.